Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I would invite you to take out your Bibles right now and to turn in them, take out the Word of God, turn in them to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament and chapter number two. Maybe you're using a phone app. Uh, We have all of our sermons on the Bible app and you can check out all the slides there, but we're glad that you're here. Now, as we get started today, I want to remind us that when God creates, he creates unique things. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how he creates snowflakes, and we have a couple of pictures on the screen here of real snowflakes, and he creates millions and billions of them, and they're very unique. And then another area of uniqueness when God creates is when he creates people is in the area of fingerprints. Uh, We are unique people as God creates us. They tell us there are now about 8 billion with a B people on our planet. And each of us have been created unique. No one else has the fingerprints that we have. That is the way that God creates He creates unique things. And that's true of us as followers of Jesus. God has left his fingerprints on us. And you are unique. There is no one exactly like you, and there never will be anyone exactly like you. I like the way Max Lucado put it. He said this, Da Vinci painted one Mona Lisa. Beethoven created one fifth symphony, and God made one version of you. You're it. You're the only you there is. You can do something no one else can do in a fashion no one else can do it. He goes on to say, you're more than a coincidence of chromosomes and heredity, more than just an assemblage of somebody else's lineage. You are uniquely made, uniquely, uniquely made. Now, we're involved in the month of July in a series we have entitled Divinely Designed to Serve. And if you have your Bible open to Ephesians chapter 2, we want to look at verse 10, which has been our foundational verse for this series And you notice it says that we are his workmanship. We could translate it, we are his handiwork. We are his masterpiece. By the way, the word that is translated workmanship there in the original language of the New Testament is the word poiema, P-O-I-E-M-A. And that's what it's telling us. We are his poiema. We get our word in English, poem from this word in the original language. It's saying that we are his special composition. And he goes on to say that we were created in Christ Jesus for a particular purpose, and that is for for good works, for things that we are to do and to serve, which God prepared beforehand, before we were even born, so that we would walk in them, so that we would live them out. We have been created for good works. 
We are his poem, his special composition, his handiwork, his masterpiece, and he wants us to walk in the good works that he has created us for. So the question we're asking in this series is, how did God shape me to serve? How did God shape you to serve? And we're using an acrostic, which is the word shape, where each letter stands for something. And so far, we've spent two weeks looking at the idea of spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. And we have given a definition to the idea of a spiritual gift. We said it is a special spirit-given ability to serve Christ and others. And we pointed out last week that there are differing viewpoints on spiritual gifts. There are differing perspectives about spiritual gifts. There are contrasting views of spiritual gifts. And we could spend a lot of time working through all those differences and those contrasting views. But for this series, what we've decided to do is to focus on what we call the nine consensus spiritual gifts. Everybody pretty much agrees on these spiritual gifts, and we've looked at them the gift of leadership, the gift of helpful deeds, the gift of evangelism, the gift of encouragement, gift of faith, the gift of giving, gift of mercy, the gift of teaching, and the gift of shepherding. By the way, if you haven't taken the spiritual gifts indicator profile, we have those available at wildwoodchurch.org slash serve, or also out in in the hallway there, the gathering hall, where you have Volunteer Central, you could pick up a hard copy of that. We shared several fascinating facets about spiritual gifts, but one of the ones that was most interesting to me that we talked about last week is that all of these spiritual gifts are designed to be models for other people in the body. They're all designed to be a living illustration for others. So we have covered spiritual gifts, but we do want to build out our acrostic. So the S stands for spiritual gifts. We're moving today to the H, which stands for heart passion. This is the second way we get an indicator of how God has shaped us for ministry, by looking at heart passion. And today's plan involves four things we're going to do. We're going to look at the core concept of heart passion, Then we're going to look at some heart passion influences from your life and mine. We're going to look at some passion revealing questions. And then fourth, we're going to look at some heart passion illustrations. So that's the plan. Do you think we ought to work the plan? Let's do it. All right. I love that. So first of all, we're going to look at the core concept of heart passion. Now, when we use that word passion, sometimes certain things pop into our brain. When we're talking about passion, we're not talking about romantic passion. We're not talking about that kind of passion. You know, romantic passion can be illegitimate and lustful, but romantic passion can also be very, very appropriate between a husband and a wife. And we see that, by the way, in the Song of Solomon in chapter 4 and verse 9, where the husband speaking to his wife says, you have made my heart beat faster, my bride. You have made my heart beat faster with a single glance of your eyes. Now that's a very legitimate form of romantic passion, but that's not what we're talking about when we talk about heart passion. Another idea that might come in our mind when we talk about heart passion, 
we're not talking about a crime of passion. You know, a crime of passion is when your emotions get out of control. This is a sinful kind of passion, a crime of passion. That's not what we mean when we talk about heart passion. Well, what are we talking about? Well, here's what we're saying. Heart passion is what we care deeply about. Heart passion is what we have a deep burden for. Heart passion is what we have a strong enthusiasm for. Heart passion is what motivates me. It's what touches you and me. So this is, when we're talking about heart passion for how he shapes us, this is what we're talking about. What we care deeply about, what we have a deep burden for, strong enthusiasm for, what motivates us, what touches us. And part of the source of heart passion is how God has wired us. In Psalm 139, it talks about, you remember, how he knit us in our mother's womb. He embroidered us in our mother's womb. Part of heart passion comes from how he wired us even in our mother's womb. And then part of the source of heart passion also comes from how God is at work in us. Part of it's how he wired us. Part of it is how he is at work in us. And a passage of scripture we have in reference to that is Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. Now, I want to look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 and look at it in several different, four different translations. And I want you to notice something, a little pattern we see in these verses. First of all, in the New American Standard Bible, Philippians 2.13 says this, God is at work in you both to will and to work or to accomplish his good pleasure. Now, in the New King James Version, it says this, it is God who works in you both, do that word again, to will and to do his good pleasure. Notice what it says in the New Living Translation. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And then in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it's translated this way, God is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good pleasure. Now, did you notice something as we looked at those verses? It tells us that God is energizing us on two levels. He's energizing us on two levels. One is the arena of our will and our desire, and the other level, he's energizing us in the arena of our ability to do his good pleasure. Do you see how both of those things are there? The arena of our will and our desire, he is energizing us, and then in the arena of our ability to do his good pleasure, he is energizing us. Now again, part of the source of heart passion is how God has wired us. Even in our mother's womb, we were developed in a certain way. And part of the source is how God is at work in us, in that dual sense of working in our desires and working in our ability to do what he is leading us to do. And so when we talk about heart passion, part of that involves our will and our desire. It includes those things. So again, heart passion, 
What do I care deeply about? What do I have a deep burden for? What do I have a strong enthusiasm for? What motivates me? What touches me? Now, here's what's interesting about heart passion. Heart passion is different for different individuals. It just is. And we see that very clearly even in Scripture. For example, Romans 15, 20. Paul says this. Speaking of himself, he says, I aspired to preach the gospel, not just anywhere, but not where Christ had already been named. I wanted to do it where he hadn't been named so that I would not build on another man's foundation. He says, this is what I aspired to do. Some of the other translations say, Paul says, it was my ambition to do this, to preach Christ where he had not been named. It was my desire to do this. It was my aim to do this. Do you see the heart passion bleeding out of him here? We see this in scripture. My ambition, my desire, my aim. I want to be a pioneer when it comes to sharing the gospel. So we see this in scripture. We see this not only in the New Testament, we see this in the Old Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, there was an era when they were returning from the Babylonian captivity, and there's several individuals who pop up. And what we find out is, is they had different heart passions. We have Nehemiah, whose heart passion was the walls of the city of Jerusalem. I want to see those rebuilt. We have another character by the name of Zerubbabel and his heart passion was for the temple. He wanted to see the temple back up and functioning. And then we have the person of Ezra and Ezra's heart passion was on the people of Israel and he wanted them to know and understand the word of God. Three men, different heart passions. Now, it's important to clarify, I'm not saying that they didn't care about the other two issues. I'm not saying that Nehemiah had a heart passion for the walls of Jerusalem, but he didn't give a flip about the temple or the people of God. Not saying that Zerubbabel had a heart passion for the temple, but the walls and the people didn't matter to him. I'm not saying that Ezra had a heart passion for the people and then learning the word of God, and he didn't care about the other two things. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying they had a distinctive heart passion. Nehemiah said, I want the walls of the city to be rebuilt. Zerubbabel said, I want that temple back up and functioning. Ezra said, I have this passion for the people of God, people of Israel, to understand God's truth. It's just something we see in the New Testament. We see it in the Old Testament. And we also can see this idea of heart passion, something you care deeply about, have a deep burden for, strong enthusiasm for. We see it just in in recent church history. For example, some of you have heard the name of a man by the name of James Dobson, who was a medical doctor. James Dobson had heart passion for the family, for parenting and marriages. And because he had heart passion for that, He left his medical practice and started an organization many of you have heard of called Focus on the Family, which still functions today. We see it also, for example, someone who had a heart passion, a deep burden for something in the person of Mother Teresa. You might have heard of Mother Teresa. And her heart passion was the neediest of the needy. And because that was her heart passion, she 
began a ministry on the streets of India. So we can have something that we care deeply about, have a deep burden for, and we have a strong enthusiasm for. And one of the heart passions that I have had, and I have, relates to marriage, relates to being a husband and a wife and being parents and the family. And part of that, I believe, is how God wired me from the very beginning. I didn't fully understand this when I was younger, but from a very, very young age, when I would watch a movie that had to do with the theme of family and parents and kids, I was always emotionally moved by it. It just stirred my heart. And that has continued up to the very day that we're in. I don't know how many of you have ever seen the movie Frequency. The movie came out in 2000. Yes, way back in 2000. And if you have not seen the movie Frequency, you've got to watch the movie Frequency. It's, it's a movie about a connection between a father and a son over a three-decade period of time. I've watched that movie many, many times. And there comes a point in that movie where the father says to his grown son, I'm still here for you, chief. And really, my tears start to come in my eyes when I even say that line. I've seen the movie multiple times, but when he turns to his son, he says, I'm still here for you, chief. I get a lump in my throat. So part of this passion for marriage and the family and stuff comes from how God wired me. Part of it comes also from how God has been at work in me. Now, I went to seminary back in the days when we rode horses and we took little horse-drawn carriages in seminary. (laughs) But when I went to seminary, there was a class offered. In fact, it was the first such class ever offered in seminary in the United States. It was an optional course called the Christian Home, and it was taught by a professor by the name of Howard Hendricks. And I remember taking that course as an optional course, and I'm thinking to myself, this is an optional course? That's nuts. This ought to be required for every single seminary student. As you're training potential future pastors, why would they not want to go through a course that highlights what God has to say about marriage and what he has to say about husbands and wives and parents and children and relating to one another? I thought every single seminary, if I was God of the seminary, I would change it where everybody had to take that course. So it's part of how God was at work in me. And part of the reason why I went on staff in the national speaker team for family life, and I've been doing that for 26 years because that's part of how God has wired me so I can go and we can speak at Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaways. It's just a heart passion that God has given to me. Now, I think we all know this, but there are just some things, even in ministry life and serving people, there are some things that invigorate us and there are some things that drain us. There's some things that strengthen us emotionally and some things that weaken us emotionally. And when we start talking about heart passion, heart passion, when we can serve in the arena of our heart passion, it invigorates us. 
when we serve in the area of our heart passion, it requires very little external motivation. And even when we expend energy in the arena of our heart passion, it's a good tired. And I want to have an opportunity to speak at a weekend to remember, and you're there, you travel there, speak on Friday, you speak on Saturday, you speak on Sunday, and you get done expending a lot of energy, but you know what? It's a good tired. It's a good tired. I like the way Jay McSwain put it. He said this. He said, heart passion is something that energizes you to the point that simply doing it is your reward. So the first thing we're doing is we're just looking at this core concept of heart passion. Heart passion is what we care deeply about, what we have a burden for, what motivates us. Second thing we want to do is look at some heart passion influences. What influences us in terms of our heart passion? And one of them would be our divine wiring. We've already mentioned this briefly. I hope most of you know about the Academy Award winning movie. It's a true story called Chariots of Fire. And one of the main characters, in fact, the central character of the movie is a man from Scotland by the name of Eric Liddell. Now, Eric Liddell uh, later on went on to be martyred as a missionary in China in a Japanese prison camp. But the movie is about his participating in the Olympics for Scotland. And he, some say, is the greatest athlete ever produced by Scotland. And part of the story is that his sister Jenny becomes worried that he's training for the Olympics. And what she doesn't want that to do is to turn his focus from going to the mission field in China. So she gets very concerned about that. And there comes a point in the movie when he has to to speak with his sister because he's going to continue to pursue the Olympics. And by the way, he eventually wins the gold medal there. But at one point in the movie, he very gently puts his arms on her shoulders and he says this, Jenny, Jenny, I believe God made me for a purpose. And he's speaking of China here. But when he made me, he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's an interesting statement. You know, what would we say to that? When I blank, I feel his pleasure pleasure. I want you to know, because part of my passion is to be able to teach the Word of God, I can say this, that when I teach the Word of God, I feel His pleasure. Same thing as when I have an opportunity to teach on the subject matter of marriage and the family, I feel His pleasure. So we have heart passion influences. One is our divine wiring. Another Influence in our heart passion can be a life experience or an event that we go through. We're going to expand on this more in our series before we are done. But I want to share with you a story that Pastor Tommy Nelson tells about a young woman in his church by the name of Rebecca. And Rebecca went through this incredible rebellion. She got involved with an abusive man, and out of marriage, they had a child. Now, Rebecca hoped that this abusive guy would become kinder after he became a father, but actually the abuse got worse and worse. 
And one day, this abusive man struck Rebecca so severely that he crushed the side of her face. And she had to undergo reconstructive surgery to repair the damage. Well, eventually, like a lot of these guys do, he decided, I'm out of here. I don't want to be here anymore. And so with him being gone and some of the lessons learned, Rebecca decided to return to her walk with the Lord and began to again serve him with her whole heart. And Tommy Nelson says, I saw her recently when she returned from a mission trip, mission trip to an orphanage in a Muslim country. And he said, when I saw her, she had this most wonderful glow on her face. And I listened as she told me all about her trip. And then I asked her, Rebecca, what is the passion of your heart? She looked me in the eye and said with conviction, working with abused women. See, part of our influence on our heart passion can be a life experience or an event that we go through. You know, many people who attend a Christian camp decide, you know what, I would like to serve at a Christian camp. Pine Covers, how many of you who are here to serve this week went to a Christian camp when you were younger? Let me see your hands up there. The majority of them are up. You know, that very thing happened to my son, Kyle. When Kyle went to Sky Ranch as a camper, And that life experience, that life event erupted some heart passion in his life. And that is why, to this very day, he serves with Sky Ranch Camps as the director of family ministries, working with several camps throughout the country. This is what can happen. Sometimes it's divine wiring. Sometimes it's a life experience or an event. Sometimes it can be even just our age or the stage of life we are going through. If you're in college, you probably have a heart passion for your other college students, and that's part of what happens when you're in college. Maybe you are a seasoned married couple who worked through those early difficult years of marriage, and you now have, because you've worked through that, a passion for young couples, and you want to help them walk through those difficult stages of life. Sometimes it's our age or our stage of life. I remember we had a a single mom here at Wildwood and she had a daughter who was on the OU basketball team. And we were actually talking about this kind of subject matter and I could suddenly see this little twinkle in her eye. And I said, "What, what would your heart passion to serve God and other people be? And here's what she said to me. She said, you know, Bruce, what I would love to do is I'd love to have a house down near campus. And I'd love to have some of the women's basketball players living there and some of the other female students from the university. And and I could just care for them there. And I could mentor them there. These are the influences, you see. It can be your divine wiring. It can be a life experience event. It can be an age or stage of life. Now, I want to share something with you that I think is true statistically. Some of us in the past have expressed our heart passion to somebody else and they squelched it. They stepped on it. Some of us had said, I've got this heart passion and they said something like, oh, forget that. That can't be God's will. You would enjoy doing that too much. 
You know, it's almost like this idea is out there that serving the Lord has to be miserable. You ought to be miserable when you're serving God. And so some of you have expressed that heart passion. You maybe didn't even realize you were doing it, but someone just stomped on it a little bit, say, forget that. You know, in the 43 years I've been here, I've had a lot of people in my office, and a lot of times people have come into my office, and this is what they say to me. I don't know what God wants me to do. I'm unsure of what God wants me to do. And the usual response I give to them is, what do you want to do? <laughs> you, ought to, you ought to see the look on their face at that point. What, what do you mean, what do I want to do? I, I don't know what God wants me to do. And here's the way I work through this with them. Are you seeking to walk in obedience to Christ in your life? And they'll go, yeah. I mean, nobody does that perfectly, but that's, that's really what I'm seeking to do. And, that, and then I will say, you know, you, and you're involved in a local church. You're connected to a church of believers. And of course, they're connected to Wildwood. And then I say, is it your focus to want to walk by the Spirit every day of your life? And so, if you are seeking to walk in, there's a little bit of a precursor here. If you're seeking to walk in obedience, if you're involved in the local church, if you're walking by the Spirit, remember God is at work in you both to what? To will and to do his good pleasure. See, if we're making a serious effort to walk with Christ, what does God want me to do? Maybe it's what you want to do. It's a unique way to look at all of this. So we have been looking at the core concept of heart passion. We've been looking at some heart passion influences. Third thing we want to do is we want to look at some passion revealing questions. These are just some questions that might help to reveal what our passion might be. So let's look at a couple of them, actually several of them. What ministry possibilities excite you? Now, by the way, when we go through these passion-revealing questions, I want you to think outside of the box a little bit. I want you to think outside of this building. I want you to think of off-campus a little bit, too. We're not just talking about what goes on in this building during the week. That's a key part of what we do, but I want you to think beyond that. What ministry possibilities excite you? What issues get your passionate attention? What would you rather do for others more than anything else? These are passion-revealing questions. Who do you love being around? Passion-revealing questions. I've got more for you. Here's some more. Who are you excited to serve? How about this one? What concerns about others preoccupy your mind? Things that go on in your head when you're just pondering things in general. Here's another passion-revealing question. What conversation has the potential to keep you talking till late at night? These are all passion-revealing questions. Got some more. If you ask your friends, what would they say you are passionate about? That can give you some insight. Here's another one. Who do you most want to help or reach? And then another passion-revealing question. What would you desire to do for others if money and time were not an issue? That's a great passion-revealing question. 
Now, sometimes it's not automatically clear for us. You know, understanding our heart passion can be a little bit of a process, but these passion-revealing questions can really, really help. So we've looked at the core concept of heart passion. We've looked at some heart passion influences, some passion-revealing questions. The last thing we want to do today is to look at some heart passion illustrations that just can help us to get a concrete feel about all of this. And the first heart passion illustration we want to talk about is groups. For example, maybe your heart passion can be children, a group there, or students, or the homeless, or prisoners, or the disabled, or the elderly, or internationals. We have a lot of internationals in our community because of the University of Oklahoma. Maybe it's single parents. Maybe it's young marrieds. Maybe it's businessmen and women. Maybe it's those who struggle with same-sex issues or those who struggle with gender identity issues. Maybe that is an indicator, an illustration of where your heart passion lies. And I'll just let me show you how this works. Just take the gift of teaching. You can have the gift of teaching, but you have a passion for children. Or maybe you have the gift of teaching, and you have a passion for teens. Or maybe you have the gift of teaching, and you have a passion for young couples. Or you have the gift of teaching, and you have a passion for the grieving, or you have a passion for troubled youth. See how those two work together? You can have a gift, but maybe your area of heart passion shows you a focus area. And then when we talk about heart passion illustrations, another illustration can be maybe your heart passion is around issues, maybe the issue of addiction or the issue of abortion or the issue of politics. We need Christians who have heart passion about that. Maybe crisis pregnancies or homelessness or those who have been sexually abused or those who have been sexually trafficked or maybe just the issue of support groups. One of the newest support groups we have at Wildwood is one for dementia, those who are dealing with family members who have dementia. And we have people who have a heart passion to, to deal with that issue. And so that issue becomes part of a ministry focus that they have. And then heart passion illustrations can also relate to areas. Maybe you have heart passion about repairing and fixing things. Maybe you have a heart passion about sound and audio excellence. Maybe you have a heart passion about security and safety. Maybe your heart passion is more musical. You have an ability to play an instrument well. You sing well. You like to be involved in worship. Maybe it's in the area of evangelism and outreach that you have a heart passion. Maybe it's just in the area of cooking and meal preparation. And we're very excited about people at Wildwood who have that heart passion because it affects a lot of people. It's a great way to minister to them. Now, again, I would say that identifying your heart passion, it's a process, okay? So it's not something that immediately comes instantly to you, but as you ponder it, it gets clearer. What is the internal compass that God has given to me? Maybe it has to do with how he wired me, but maybe it has to do with how he's been at work in me. And remember that babies learn by doing. You have to get out there and serve. You have to get out there and do some things. So we want to talk a little bit about, as we close our service, some life response that we can have. And the first life response we want to talk about deals with the repeating question. We're going over this question every time, repeating it, repeating it, repeating it. The question is, how can I serve and invest in others? That's the question we want you to be wrestling with every week. 
How can I serve and invest in others? And so the first thing we need to do is we need to be active. We need to be trying some things out. And you'll notice that tucked in the seat back in front of you is a response card there, an interest card. It's yellow. And it says there, I want to learn more about serving with, and you can circle any one of eight different areas. Now, we want you to consider, grab one of those, fill it out, put it in one of the pails, the buckets that are outside of the doors as you leave. You're not signing up for anything by filling this out. You're saying, I'm interested potentially in serving in that area. I want more information. I want to learn more. So the first life response is to be active, and the way to start getting active would be to fill out one of these cards and put it in the buckets as you leave. Second life response is to prayerfully and creatively reflect. We don't do that enough as Americans. It means you've got to turn it off the phone, turn it off the TV, and to prayerfully and creatively reflect. And we're going to give you several things to think about. One would be, how would you fill this out? My ministry dream is blank. My ministry dream is blank. Or, I would love for God to use me to blank. Just to prayerfully and creatively reflect on those things. I have a couple more for you. I like this question. If I could wave a magic wand to make it happen, what would I most like to do for God and others? It's a pretty revealing question to pray about and to reflect on. And then there's this one which at my stage of life means something more to me than it ever has. At the end of my life, I'd like to be able to look back and know I'd done blank to serve God and others. Great questions to reflect on and to pray over. Men and women, we are divinely designed to serve, and it is a true adventure to lean into this and to see how God wants to use us. And we have more to come in our acrostic besides the S and the H, which means you have to come back next week. We're going to actually take two letters at once next week. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you that it is alive and is powerful. We thank you that you are teaching us things that we need to know about how you want to use us. We are divinely designed to serve. We are unique. We have a unique contribution to bring to the church, to others, and to serving you. So we're grateful for that. We thank you for that. We pray as men and women, we would grow in our understanding of how you designed us to serve. There's a plan you had to shape me to serve and to shape every person here serve. May we get a better grip on that for your honor and for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 